Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. So that's that then, Tom. <laughs> Championship over. Max Verstappen. Well, it's not though, is it? Come well, on, Damon. It's concluded. The answer has been decided in a very strange kind of way it has to be said because nobody was quite sure whether he had done it in Japan or not we had to wait a little bit and um, poor old Johnny Herbert had to drag back uh, Max and tell him that the result was not what he thought it was and then it all went sort of backwards and forwards a few more times didn't it in the in the waiting room. Yeah, but at least he had it that way round. At least he wasn't having to tell him he didn't have it. At least he was the bearer of great news. I think the thing was Max is he knew eventually he was going to win it. He just didn't know when. He said he <laughs> thought it was funny after the race. He said all the sort of not knowing and have I, haven't I. He said actually he thought it was really funny. There you go. That's how confident he was of winning it. And that's because he's so far ahead of everyone. You know, he could afford to not be bothered so much. But job done. In a way, because of Charles Leclerc sort of slithering across the gravel and, and taking an advantage and having to be demoted. And that really is what swung it, isn't it? And also that it was a full points race, not what we thought, which was we thought it was a half points race. But then this is Formula One, guys. You've got to know the rules. Just keeping you on your toes. <laughs> Talking of keeping on toes. So it was a two o'clock start in Japan, 6 a.m. in the UK. Tell me, were you two watching it in bed? Did you get up and watch it? in the kitchen what was going on in your houses you must know when you have two young children that 6am is a lion so of course I was up so the Pinkham gang watched it together Damon I was on a cycling trip in Mallorca so I and I couldn't get anything to show me what was going on so I, I had my F1 app and I was listening but I went down for breakfast I thought I've missed it I can't, can't work out what's going on I went down for breakfast about nine o'clock in my cycle gear um, with my muesli and my app on and it said they haven't just they haven't started yet i'm going what is going on so i was a bit behind the curve and i had to do a bit of catching up but um finally worked out what was what was happening across in japan it was wet again i hear but i mean it's always raining in, in suzuka isn't it I, I had a you know 94 i had a fantastic race here in the wet but it's quite often a, a, a damp experience and the fact quite often they have typhoons as well not this time Welcome to F1 Nation with me, Natalie Pinkham, Tom Clarkson and Damon Hill. So fair to say a deserving world champion. I mean, Absolutely. the way Max has dominated. I mean, what is it? He's won six of the last seven races and... Um, on last week's show, uh, I managed to grab hold of the chief engineer at Red Bull, Paul Moynihan, who said they only knew that they had the title really at Zandvoort. That was when they thought, OK, Ferrari aren't going to come back. We've maintained the gap over the summer break. Um, I thought that was quite late in the year. I, thought, I felt we all knew a lot earlier than that. I felt France was the key turning point, actually. I felt like that's when it's just really ebbed away from Leclerc. If you think about it, though, after Australia, Max was 46 points behind. We were sort of saying then, you know, this was Leclerc's to lose, wasn't it? And sure enough, that's exactly what he did. But you can't take away from the fact that Max has just been phenomenal this year. I mean, 12 wins from five poles. And if you look at Charles's conversion rate, nine poles, but only three wins so far. 
It's not good enough, is it, Willie, when you think about it? Because he's obviously a very talented guy and he's got a quick car, but various things have worked against him, including reliability and, and poor strategy and mistakes of his own, of course. I think it's very difficult to actually decide whether or not it's it's Red Bull's and Max's brilliance this season and, and almost perfect performance, or whether it was Ferrari shooting themselves in the foot or... It was a lamentable at times performance from them. They showed so much promise at the beginning, and between the between this team strategy and a few driver errors, and, and basically um, lacking the ability to move forward with that car, they didn't provide a challenge to Max because it's still close between Sergio and and Charles in the championship. So if you took Max out of the equation, you know you could say, okay, well that's the difference. But Max was twenty seconds ahead of. Charles and Sergio in Japan in the wet after 20 laps. I mean, it was a second a lap quicker and, and Ferrari just couldn't play with that at all. It was just, they're done by now. That's, and their tyres were rooted, weren't they? And, you know, Charles's tyres were rooted, which kind of indicates that their setup is not working the tyres uh, in the way that, that Red Bull are. So they couldn't provide a challenge. So, it, But Max's confidence was, he was serene really, wasn't he? I mean, he was sublimely brilliant all year and never looked rattled. Tom, do you remember in Bahrain when we did the podcast from Ferrari and they had that one too? And there was such a buzz, such an energy about the team. And it, there seemed to be a difference about the team. There seemed to be a calm confidence about them that this was their year. I mean, that just seems like a lifetime ago. Completely agree. Do you remember Mattia Bonotto sat down between you and me and there was a, a relief, definitely a relief from him because they, they'd been quick in testing and you always have to convert that in race conditions because you're never quite sure what the opposition are doing. The only tiny negative I felt that weekend was the performance of Carlos Sainz, who wasn't on top of the car. But there were so many positives for Ferrari to take. But still put it in second. Put it in second. And so many positives to take away from the race with Charles' performance that I, I need to listen back. But I'm sure the tone of that pod was Ferrari are the real deal this year. And, and it's going to take a lot to stop them. What went wrong? We don't. This is the thing. I'd love to know what it is, what it was that they truly were struggling with. Christian has has to be credited for a, a lot of, of the performance of really putting together the team that they've got at Red Bull. They're incredibly competitive and it's been a tremendous story because if you looked at the last few years with Mercedes dominating, you'd look at that and you think, how the hell is anybody going to beat this team? But they did it. That was the tone coming out of the Red Bull garage after the race. Wasn't we've beaten Ferrari this year. It was we have beaten Mercedes that was uh, definitely the foremost thing on everyone's mind was, ah, after eight years, we finally stopped them. And there was, I definitely sensed that Ferrari was not on anyone's mind. That's a, good, that's a very good point, actually. I, I think the rivalry that is, is much stronger between Red Bull and, and Mercedes. And they certainly, there's no love lost between Toto and Christian. They're very quick to throw um, accusations at each other. And, and one of the latest ones, of course, is the, is the cost cap one that's that's popped up which has been in the in the news recently because the question has been asked well has everyone got their sums right uh, with regard to capping their costs and some people have first of all the FIA said well some people haven't and they've exceeded it and the next question was well who are they and by how much and then Toto started saying well I know and then a lot of the team other team bosses were 
piling in, sort of going, oh, I think it's disgraceful. Um, <laughs> you know, this is this as bad as cheating on the track, I heard was one of the comments. So they were definitely putting the pressure on, and it turned out to be pressure on Red Bull. Williams and Aston Martin procedural. They uh-huh. did not breach the cost cap. So it's only one team that have done a, a minor... A minor breach, which equates overspend. to 5%. Or anything up to five percent, mm. which is a uh, or or which which equates to about seven point two five million dollars, which is a lot of money. TC, let's be honest. I mean, this is the problem: is that there's there is two schools of thought here. There's one which I would prefer to buy into, which is because that's the optimist in me, is that Max has been sublime. Red Bull have got their ducks in a line. They have been phenomenal all year. And under the pressure of last year as well. But I know that there will be fans out there shouting at their listening devices going, yeah, but if they broke the cost cap, that's cheating. Whatever the FIA does next sets a vital precedent for the future. Do you think, gentlemen, that these are inevitable teething problems with the cost cap? Do you think that this was always going to happen, particularly in in the world that we live in, in Formula One? everyone's always looking for marginal gains and they're going to seek them wherever they can find. And the cost cap was, by definition, porous because there are elements that you can exploit. I completely agree. I think in year one in particular, while we're still working out what comes under the cost cap and what's permitted and what's not. It was always going to be tricky and people were always going to push the limits. I know the likes of Ferrari and Mercedes are going to say, we managed to do it without any question marks. But And let's also just take a step back for a minute and celebrate the cost cap because two years ago, there were teams spending $400 million to put two Formula One cars on the grid 18 times. At least now, we've brought them down to 145, 152, I don't know. But it's a hell of a lot less than where we were before. Formula One is now a sustainable business wherever you are on the grid. So we should celebrate that. And and for me, these teething problems and, and Red Bull pushing the limits clearly were slightly inevitable in year one. I know, Toto, that you'll disagree, but uh, and I think we'll see less of it next year if the appropriate penalty is taken. Everyone listening to this should, should bear in mind that the teams have had to do some really painful things. They've had to let people go. So in order to get to within the cost cap, there's the teams themselves have had to... You know, people have been there for a long time and have worked very well for the team. They've had to turn to them and say, listen, I'm sorry, we have to let people go and you're on the list. And thank you very much for your services. Goodbye. So it's been a really painful experience for um, the bosses of, of F1 having to give people their notice. You're absolutely right. There's been a human cost to this as well. Well, we do know that next steps are being considered. We hope for much more information in Austin and beyond. And... We hope also, as sort of the middlemen in this sport, if you like, between the fans and the sport itself, to bring you more clarity and um, just bear with us on that. Well, Christian Horner is in the press conference on Saturday morning, so um, I can't imagine what we're going to talk to him about. (laughs) With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. 
right at the top of the podcast, Eamon, you said, well, that's it, we're done. Championship's been decided. And I counted that point because I believe there's still plenty for us to get our teeth into, enjoy as F1 fans, the remaining four races. So we've got P2 in the championship. It matters. And that is uh, obviously between Perez and Leclerc, just one point separating the two of them. It feels as if Perez has turned around that sort of mid-season slump to come back pretty strong. Obviously, a stunning race in Singapore. But Leclerc will really want to finish on a high as well, won't he? Because um, it does matter to him, to Ferrari, for morale going into 2023. And then um, have a look at P4, just five points separating Russell and Sainz. Am I winning you over? I'm seeing a bit of doubt on your face, Damon. What do you feel right now? Are you feeling still, are you still in? Yeah. Russell could finish ahead of Hamilton in their first season as teammates. Alpine and McLaren are both going for P4. Alpine got a 13-point advantage after Japan, having both cars for McLaren in the points in Singapore. Perez could win in Mexico, his home race. He was on the podium there last year and there was a party for days. Imagine if he took to the top step. That is something I'm looking forward to. I think this is what I think. I, I've always wanted to be there for, for that. I mean, a Mexican driver winning the Mexican Grand Prix, it's going to be the most unbelievable explosion of insanity is, is going, I mean, they're already overexcited when you go there for the Grand Prix and, and they're just on the beginning of their, their, their holiday, isn't it? The, the, the Day of the Dead Festival. Day of the Dead, so, yeah. I mean, Mexican driver, he, he will be, I mean, sainthood is probably going to be the only thing that's good enough for him after that. You know, I mean, they're just, they just love him out there and he's done an amazing job this season. So I'm flying there just to see his dad's reaction in the crowd. That's all I'm coming for. Would Max give it up, do you think, if he had to, if he had to give it up for... Sergio, would yeah, he? Yeah, go on. He's already won the championship. Oh, it would be an amazing... It's going to be an amazing thing anyway. It's going to be an amazing doubleheader because, of course, that's the week straight after Austin, isn't it? But, Pinks, I agree with everything you say in that, you know, to me, every Grand Prix is, is unique and everyone wants to win it and do well. The drivers race hard. I've got to think, I'm not sure they care that much about P2 in the World Championship. I don't know. Am I blaspheming? I, I just... But I do think you want to finish on a high. I don't think you want to go into the winter. Of course. And for Ferrari to finish on a high, that's important. Which is of co- All of that, totally buy into that. But whether if Charles Leclerc finishes second or third in this year's World Championship, I don't think he's going to lose any sleep over that. The only position that matters... Is P1. I, mm. I, I have quite a few trophies um, uh, in, in storage. All right, show off. Yes. Go on, how many? How many? I have no idea. It's not, you're not interested in the second place. I, all know. right, all right. But I do think it's important not to go into a very long, cold winter on a downer. So looking at how you kind of quantify, of course, they're racing drives. Everyone always wants to finish your right and you want that momentum to be on the upward trend as you go into the winter. So definitely they can they can restore some of their honour um, still. Let's let's be honest, you know, Charles can still win races. You know, I think it's not impossible. I think that uh, maybe Lewis can win a race. Things happen. We've got four races left. You know, there's, there's always a chance somewhere. And if you, if you can actually just get into the winter with a little bit of an upturn at the end, then that'd be um, good for everyone's motivation. Yeah, and there could be some more championship celebrations in Kota because Red Bull can clinch the Constructors' Championship this coming weekend. It's mad mm. to think, by the way. They're, I've written this down. Well, hang on a minute, TC. They're first since 2013. I mean, that's astonishing, yeah, isn't it? one team has won everything yeah. in between. Nine years, <laughs> yeah. that's amazing, isn't it? 
That's incredible. Yeah. But it's mad to think, right, that Red Bull currently have 619 points and they've already exceeded their total from 2021. Wow. It's just been utterly yeah. dominant. I think I'm guilty of this. And, and that's why I'm saying it really. I think I'm guilty of not giving credit where credit's due with regard to Alpine because they have actually been quite quite a strong team this year and they've shown themselves to be you know had the edge over over McLaren I think McLaren have kind of faded a bit in the battle but uh, Alpine have come on strong but they've been slightly tarnished by the whole Oscar Piastri business haven't they that's all anyone has talked about when it comes to Alpine for the last two months on track they have been brilliant and and what's really impressed me about Alpine is that every single time they've brought an upgrade to that car it has made a positive difference. And that's not, you can't apply that to, to every team on the grid. A lot of teams have brought stuff that hasn't worked. And whereas Alpine consistently improving, they've actually got a much faster car now than McLaren. Um, it was only the, the double DNF in Singapore that allowed McLaren to jump ahead of them in the Constructors' Championship. And I think McLaren, as you said earlier, Pink's, 13 points behind Alpine now in the Constructors' Championship. And I think because Alpine have a faster car, it's going to take an awful lot. It's going to take a lot of misfortune for Alpine not to finish fourth. It's a phenomenal car and it's it's a phenomenal racing team. And I want to just um, give a shout out to Alan Permain, who I think is their sporting director. He's been at Alpine right almost from, you know, Team Enstone, we should call it really, right from the, the mid-90s when you were racing Schumacher when he was in a Benetton, Damon. And he just runs a really, really good race team. It's it's clinical, it's efficient. They know how to improve a racing car from Friday into Saturday. Just a really good team. And I think they're going to finish fourth. He must be doing something right to, to stay there that long. A couple of other things worth mentioning. Verstappen can actually beat the record for wins in a season. Vettel obviously has that from 2013. On 13, Verstappen could feasibly win 16 if he takes the remaining four. And Mercedes, Russell has been pretty impressive this season. I think there's very few people that wouldn't like to see Lewis get a win this year as well after what's been a difficult year. But how impressed have you been with the young Norfolk chap? George Russell, I mean, has come in and he's come into this very difficult situation. It really is putting your head in the lion's mouth. And he's absolutely stamped his authority and credentials on this team and also as a viable contender and a viable teammate to Lewis Hamilton. You know, there's not many people that managed to not be crushed by that relationship. And and Lewis has had some bad luck this year and he's maybe wasn't all there at the start of the season for good reasons. But, you know, he's coming back. There's no question. I think I think when Lewis has started to be more motivated, which he seems to be this latter half of the season, sniffing the opportunities of, uh, of better results... I think George is starting to find out quite what a what a competitor Lewis is. His shine, if you like, although he's ahead in points, I think that Lewis is definitely creeping uh, and recovering those points um, gradually over over the last few races of this season. So he needs to double down a little bit. And um, his his first season with this team has been uh, absolutely fantastic, outstanding, and he's shown what a quality driver is definitely got championship potential for the future yeah, and what a cool head he's got as well i mean the last couple of races have been difficult for him in what was he he was eighth in suzuka and then you know did that slightly oddball strategy in singapore but if we take those two races out of it he's been calm i, I look back to the hungarian grand prix pole position 
just a phenomenal weekend for him. But Damon, it's interesting you say that, you know, Lewis is starting to come on song a bit now. He He's always very strong in the second half of seasons, Lewis. But yeah. who has the harder job? Valtteri Bottas coming into Mercedes as Nico Rosberg's replacement in 2017. The team was winning everything at the time. Or George Russell coming in now. The team's been on the back foot. It's got a car that um, it's struggled with all year. Who would you, whose shoes would you rather be filling? Well, I mean, you'd prefer to be in a car that is competitive and, and winning races, which is what Valtteri had. But there is a little bit of protection given by the fact that the car is so difficult. But George has shown that he's you know, even difficult circumstances, he's able to pull out a result. He's able to think things through, understand what's going on. And he's, he's got a very powerful intellect on top of his speed and, and determination. So as an individual, he's very impressive. I think George will probably finish ahead of Lewis Hamilton in the championship. He's got 27 points over him at the minute. And if we assume that it's Red Bull and Ferrari taking all the the bulk of the, the points at each race, it's going to be difficult for Lewis to overhaul George, even yeah, if he does prove to be quicker in the remaining races. We've only got four left after all. It'll be a feather in his cap, won't it? Has anybody heard of any kind of optimism coming from Mercedes that they've got an idea how to close the gap next year? I can answer this, Damon. Mike Elliott was in the press conference in Suzuka and he said, I'm quoting him now, we know what the deficit to Red Bull is and we think we can close it over the winter. There's a good chance that Lewis could be fighting for a championship again next year, as could George, and we could have a humding of a season next year. But they've struggled through this year. It's been it's been tough for them, hasn't it, Mercedes? I mean, the morale... You know, it's very exhausting to stay at the sharp end of Formula One and then to put all your heart and soul into a car and it comes out and it's not good is is kind of um, can shake your confidence. But, um, you know, that spreads throughout the organisation. I thought it was interesting that Toto Wolf wasn't in Japan. It's the first race he's missed this year. Implication for me being that the focus is now on 2023 and his time is better spent back at the factory, back in Europe putting deals together to give the team the best opportunity. Surely everyone's attention's now on 2023, isn't it? Well, and Mattia Binotto wasn't there either. Yeah, Binotto. In fact, Mattia Binotto is only scheduled to come to one more race this year because he thinks his time is is better spent uh, back in Maranello. But it's just interesting, isn't it? How, okay, who was the most senior man at Mercedes? It was Mike Elliott, who was the most senior man at Ferrari in Suzuka. It was Laurent Mecchies. It wasn't the big cheeses that we sort of see on the telly every other weekend. While some of you out there might be lucky enough to be travelling to Austin for the Grand Prix this weekend, for those of you still planning your next trip, why not take the opportunity to discover a memorable vacation at sea with MSC Cruises? Whether you're ready for a quick weekend escape or are longing for a week-long cruise, set sail from Miami, the Orlando area or New York City and look forward to a world of new discoveries. With MSC Cruises, you can choose from three, four or seven night cruises from Miami or the Orlando area and bask in the crystal clear waters of the Caribbean, explore the vibrant culture of Mexico and immerse in the natural wonders of the Bahamas, including Ocean K, MSC Cruises' private island marine reserve. You can even be among the first to experience the brand new MSC Seascape, which features cutting edge design, impressive outdoor spaces and the very first RoboCoaster thrill ride at sea. 
or set sail from New York City and visit the scenic coastal towns of Canada and New England, relax on the pink sand beaches of Bermuda, or head for the best sights and attractions of the Bahamas and Florida. And that's not all. From the Caribbean to Europe and beyond, all MSC Cruises ships offer world-class entertainment, a selection of pools, sports complexes, the kids' clubs, luxurious spas, an array of dining for all tastes, exciting shore excursions, and a wide choice of global destinations to discover. So set off to a flying start and book your unforgettable cruise vacation at msccruises.com. That's msccruises.com. MSC Cruises, a world of discovery. Now, there's another team on the move that I thought we could talk about, and that is Aston Martin, currently P7 in the Constructors' Championship. They were P9. They were languishing in P9 for the bulk of the season. They've had a phenomenal couple of races, and they're now P7. They're just seven points behind Alfa Romeo in P6. They have put on a late season charge. They have. They've come up with some interesting developments, I think, as well. They've so quite a few of their aero mods have been copied by the teams as well so there's signs that they are they're actually finding their own way forward and not just one of these teams that are going to copy someone else i know they were accused of copying the red bull side um, pods for a while but um definitely yeah and and seb did a good job i thought he was you know for someone who's going to be giving up i thought he seemed quite feisty in suzuka as well and Mike Crack, the team principal there, said that he thinks he's seen even more commitment from Sebastian post the news that he's going to retire than pre. Well, perhaps there's a sense of relief as well. You've made that big decision. And why not just throw your all into it in the remaining races? It says a lot about his character, doesn't yeah. it? It was really nice. In Suzuka, he had his wife, he had his children. They'd all come out to Japan, one of his favourite tracks. And Almost for the first time, you sense Seb is softening a little bit and he's never taken his wife or children to any races, but he just wants these last four or five to be a bit of a family affair. And it was lovely to see him putting in such a great performance last weekend, you know, maintaining his run in Q3 and then that great last corner, last dive to the to the line alongside Fernando Alonso on Sunday. He's an interesting man, you know, in our sport. He's someone who has and tries to put what he does into the context of everything else. And it's quite a difficult fit. And uh, so yeah, that's possibly why he's um, decided to to move on to other things. But I don't know how you ever get it out of your system. He's been doing it for so long. You know, I, di- I raced from when I was 19, 18, and I raced bikes, I raced everything, and then stopped when I was about 40, 39. But, you know, I found that difficult to stop doing the competitive thing and and it's you know i that's going to be really hard because he's still very young he's only 35 isn't he set you know so um it's very early to to give up and move on and you got philando alonso who's plowing on <laughs> still at it really strong he's an interesting man sebastian vettel and um will be will be missing something when he's gone i, I just wish his performances had been it's like he's been distracted you know from what he can do uh, but it seemed to be back on form again in Suzuka. That was good. Well, talking about Seb segues nicely into talking about Mick Schumacher because they're obviously friends and Seb's been a great mentor to Mick over the years. Mick's future is far from certain. He is 
certainly a very lovely bloke. Um, is he good enough to be on the grid next year, Damon? I think he is good enough. I think he's... Uh, the problem is he had a bit of a torrid start to this season, didn't he, when he got compared to Kevin, who came in and, um, you know, it was it wasn't going the right direction. But I think he had some strong performances in the middle of the season. But then he did do another tub, I, I understand, a chassis uh, in the crash in, in Suzuka. But these things happen. But, you know, the, the forgivable thing with a lot of guys, like his dad, for example, and quite a few other drivers I can think of, like Senna, and the, when they came in, they did a lot of damage. Um, they were very fast and they, they went off the road quite a bit, but they always had the pace. The problem is if you don't have blindingly fast potential then you can't keep crashing the car and that's that is the problem that Gunter raised was it wasn't he wasn't anti um, Mick it was just his he was costing the team a lot to to keep him going because of the cost cap means I know they're not probably actually anywhere near the cost cap it has but anyway they're, they're low on budget so they just can't afford to keep fixing things the balancing act you have to ha- have to be able to resolve as a racing driver and as a team is how fast you want to go and how much damage do you want to do <laughs> because you want to you know you want to you want someone who's quick but you don't want someone I mean you know Gilles Villeneuve used to crash a lot you know but he was so fast when he wasn't crashing that he kind of was forgiven Mick's crash at Suzuka was a really bizarre one because he'd just done a practice start it was it was right at the end of uh, FP3 and he'd just done a practice start it was raining it was it was slippery and he was just making his way back to the pits and suddenly you just you just saw this house with its wheels ripped off and i don't know what happened but that's what he said yes i'm sure that's what he said i think we've seen enough improvement from mick to see him stay in formula one next year I don't know whether I'm right in saying this, but I view this as his first full season in Formula One. I I felt that last year's Haas was so uncompetitive and I felt that his teammate Nikita Mazepin was so uncompetitive that I'm not sure how much he learnt about how to extract the maximum from a Formula One car. He learnt about the, the rhythm of a Grand Prix weekend, of course. But also how much he could show of his talent. Yeah, whereas this year I felt you know, he's had a decent car. He hasn't exploited it perhaps as well as he could have done. I think he did not impress the team at the Austrian Grand Prix earlier this year when in the sprint race, he was stuck behind his teammate, Kevin Magnussen, and wanted them to move him out the way and they didn't. And he told the team what he thought, which would have been a mistake. But just in terms of his on-track performance, I think he's getting better. And what are the options? Daniel Ricciardo told us all in Suzuka that he is not racing next year. So he's now out of the equation. Nico Hülkenberg is, is, seems to be the man in pole position to take the Haas, the second Haas alongside Kevin Magnussen. Nico, very fast, very consistent. I thought he was hugely impressive earlier this year when he subbed for Sebastian Vettel at the opening two races without any testing or anything, got straight in and got on with it. But, you know, I slightly feel as well that Nico's had his time in the sun. He's had his Formula One career. And let's focus on the young and the up and coming. And with Seb Vettel retiring, I think a name like Schumacher in Formula One is important for the German market as well. Yeah, I I think just talking about Nico, I think sometimes with a team like Haas, you need someone who can, can deliver for you. Think about what Perez did for 
Force India and Racing Point and, and then eventually got his chance up at the sharp end. But I mean, what a solid performer, you know, and, and this these are what these teams need. They need someone who performs, can bring the car home, get the best of the opportunities. And maybe for someone like Haas, that's actually what they would prefer rather than trying to find a hot shoe driver. For, you know, let's let, have to say... Mick is not a hot shoe driver. He's not a Max Verstappen. He might be very good and he might grow into a much... But nor is Nick a Hulkenberg. Neither is Nick a Hulkenberg, but Hulkenberg is, has got all this experience behind him. That's that's the other thing that, that a team like Haas might be looking for. Mick, he's had, you know, he's had two seasons and it, he, is, he did a double season in, in F2 and it's a kind of slow... He's a slow progressor. The question that people ask is, well, when are we going to get the dazzling performance? And that's the the question. I think if you're someone like Haas, why would you put someone in the in the car again that's cost you three tubs or however many it is? You know, he maybe Gunter sitting there going, I can't afford it anymore. I can't. I've got to put in someone who's going to just bring it home and not worry about the you know finding the next talented driver. So these, I'm just saying that could be the way he's thinking. I I can't confirm that at all. But it's just, and that's what I think. Someone like Mick. Probably, I, th- I do think young drivers particularly, what happens is they're not quite aware of what the situation is in Formula One. They're not aware how much under scrutiny they are by everyone and everything. And they feel slightly safe in a team. And you want to go, you're not safe. You're never, ever safe until you can beat your teammate every time. That's the golden rule. You have to beat your teammate every time and bring it home and don't crash. And I think sometimes there's a little complacency with the, the younger drivers and they get a massive shock when suddenly their drive, sometimes they think their drive is not under threat. They, won't, they don't believe it. And then they get kicked out. So you look at, you know, Daniel Ricciardo even. It all went horribly wrong, didn't it? I mean, he's lost his drive in Formula One. When you lose it or you can really honestly believe it's going to happen, then suddenly you find another gear. That's what happens is you dig deeper because you know it's, it's going to be over. You know, if you don't find the next level, you're not going to stay here. You're going to be out. And and that's the jolt, the shock that I feel like someone like Mick needs to get him going. Because I'm sure he's got the ability, but I think a lot, you see it with a lot with drivers. So, so Nick DeVries, you know, Nick DeVries, he's, he sort of had waved his chances of Formula 1 goodbye. And he got this opportunity and he delivered. He gave it everything he had at Monza, didn't he? And now he's got himself a drive. So the guys like Max Verstappen, they they cut themselves no slack at all. I mean, maybe his dad, you know, drilled it into him. This is not for the faint-hearted. You have to deliver. That kind of toughness of mental attitude, I think, is is a really important component that sometimes young drivers don't have. I mean, you know, I don't want to mention too many names, but I can see them. They think they're okay. The the younger drivers sometimes they think they're okay. They're doing all right. They're in Formula One. No one should ever think I'm happy to be here. You know, being there is if you're Fernando Alonso, you've done it already, you've won two world championships, then it's different. But, you know, if you haven't really established yourself, then you should never just be content with being in Formula One. That's not what it's about. You'll get found out and you won't perform to your best. That's the other thing is you won't actually find out how good you can really be. I think the three of us have waffled for long enough. It's time to open it up to our lovely listeners and get their questions to the champ. Questions, please. Damon Hill, do you think it's time maybe you should change your approach to racing? <laughs> well, I don't know even how to start answering that question, but anyway. It's the Williams Racing 
some more questions, please. Damon, were you happy with the start? Damon Hill, congratulations for this winning Damon. You must be satisfied. Any questions? Yeah. Well, Damon, it must have been absolutely gutting that last couple of laps. Damon, it looked like he had it really under control. Some more questions, please. Damon Hill has done a fantastic job. Hi, Damon. This is Susan from Ormond Beach, Florida in the States. I grew up in Watkins Glen, home of the original United States Grand Prix. When I was a little girl, paddock access was much easier, and I loved to take my race program and get autographs from drivers. Your dad was my absolute favorite. His was the autograph I wanted most and tried to get first each year. One of those years, he gave me my autograph, and then a woman next to me lifted her skirt, raised her skirt slightly above her knee, and he signed her lower thigh. It was cheeky, and it just blew my mind. I'd never seen anything like that. So I wondered if you wanted to share any encounters you'd had with fans or maybe even people you've met that left an unexpected or very memorable impression. Thanks so much. Bye. Susan, thank you for that fantastic anecdote. A little bit of an insight into my father. He was a he was a cheeky chap, I, my dad, but he was always happy to oblige. And uh, so that was a different era. Um, I have been asked to sign some odd things like shoes. Um, you know, people take their shoes off that they've been wearing all day and give it to you. And you can, <laughs> mind you, mind you, that uh, sort of ties in with the shoey doesn't it that um that dan ricardo has left us with yeah it's um it's great to meet fans and get them you know to be enthusiastic and you you know you end up signing all parts of the clothing and you know yeah it's it's just really great to hear that story that uh you know you were around there in watkins glen and um, paddock access is not what it used to be you're absolutely right you know nowadays you have to have all the right passes and then even even if you're in the paddock it's quite difficult to get close to a driver but um they have fan zones and all this stuff now as well but i guess the popularity has got the better of us was watkins Glen the greatest grand prix venue for formula one in north america i've never been there so i couldn't tell you i mean it was it was i think it was a very popular race to go to for the drivers they love going there and it was a held in about september time maybe october um so late in the season and apparently it's very beautiful upstate new york so close to new york got a lot of people along to see it but still a bit of a trek maybe all right damon how good is your memory there have been 10 different venues for the u.s grand prix off you go well we've got watkins Glen, right we've got miami this year we've got austin now that wasn't the u.s grand prix oh come on okay austin I've got two, right? Long Beach, that's three, yeah? Las Vegas, yeah? Dallas, Detroit, that's six. Okay, well, one of them was a road course at an oval. Three more, and we're getting more and more obscure. Oh, with the Indianapolis one, yeah. But that wasn't on the oval, yeah, partly on the oval. It's Indianapolis. Seven. They used to do it. What's the one where they do the endurance racing at? Yeah, in Florida. Um, one for Susan. The other one that's the airfield. Oh, God. Sebring. Sebring. So that's what I mean. Sebring. Right. Two more. Riverside. Phoenix. Well, I didn't do too badly. Okay, I love a good quiz. Okay, let's get the next question. Hi, Damon, Natalie, Tom. I'm Priscilla from Chihuahua, Mexico. As you might know, we Mexicans are crazy loyal to our Minister of Defense, Don Checo Perez. But sadly, we know it can't last forever. So, I've been wanting to ask you, what are your thoughts on Pato Award from IndyCar? Do you see him anytime soon making the jump to Formula One? 
And if so, do you think he would make a good replacement to our beloved Checo? Love the podcast, you guys. Thanks and saludos. Priscilla, shame on you. How dare you uh, call out Sergio Perez's retirement from Formula One t- in, prematurely? I mean, why not have two Mexicans in? Pato Award, I think, is going to be driving in Abu Dhabi. Um, he's going to be going to be uh, doing FP1 in the McLaren. And he could well get a drive maybe in a, in a year or so. So I don't think Sergio's going anywhere for a while. I think he's doing a fantastic job at Red Bull. So that could be two Mexicans in Formula One. Pato did the Abu Dhabi test at the end of last year and I just never forget seeing the expression on his face as he got out of the car. He just said, that car is unbelievable. I've never driven anything like it in my life, particularly through the quick corners. And you suddenly realise it's quite a gulf between IndyCar and Formula One just in terms of the the level of performance, which is why they have these these super license points. And... Um, I think Pato is very quick. He's won, what is it, four IndyCar races. He was uh, right up there in the Indy 500 this year, didn't win it, but was challenging for the lead until the end. And he's a larger-than-life character that Formula One would love. Um, you know, as Daniel Ricciardo exits stage left, we're, we're in need. There's a, there's a hole that wants to be filled with a, a larger-than-life character, and Pato would fill that. But I'm not sure we've seen enough yet. He needs to... If he was to win the IndyCar Championship, Zach Brown, I know, is a huge fan and would, would try and engineer a situation to get him into Formula One, to shoehorn him into Formula One. But again, he's got two young chargers at McLaren, Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri, quite where he's going to go and put someone like Pato Award. I mean, I think it's, it's, it's clearly an attempt to satisfy the demand and the interest there is in Formula One to, for the American market to put in their feeling is they need to put in a driver who's known in uh, in North America. But Damon, you'll quickly become known in North America. Take Logan Sargent, right? He's won races in Formula Two this year. He's doing FP1 for Williams at Cota this weekend. And he is in pole position to replace Nicholas Latifi at the team next year. So we're going to have an American in Formula One, most likely next year. Give it a race. And he'll be a name that American fans can get behind if they if they want to get behind an American. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying, you know, he's not as established a name as some of the IndyCar drivers who are currently competing out there. So I think that this is the kind of holy grail. We've we've kind of Formula One has always wanted to enter the US market and it's kind of captured the imagination with the Netflix uh, series. And, you know, that it's ignited now and, and, and I'm sure they'll be asking the questions, well, you know, we want a driver to shoot for and, and to support as well. Maybe it's Logan, maybe it's uh, um, it'll be another driver. But, um, you know, we've had we've had a few goes, haven't we? We've had um, Alex Rossi, we've had um, Scott Speed and, of course, um, Michael Andretti back in the early days. But, um, I mean, Mario cracked it. But um, so far, it's been, it's been, you know, it's been difficult. Alance Jr. came over and had a go. I was testing him in Portugal when he came and tried to do his, well, he did do his test in Formula One. But um, I think there's a kind of, there's an approach that's, that's different in the States, maybe a more relaxed feel towards the racing that um, Formula One, doesn't quite sync up with so you know in, in f1 it's it is it is brutally competitive and you know you have to be able to come in and nail it first time no one's going to cut you any slack over here in in formula one and um i think before they come u.s drivers they need to understand 
it's almost unfairly unfairly viciously competitive uh, in Formula 1 Right, I think you're right, Natalie. I think we have waffled on long enough, but uh, we've had some interesting questions this time for Ask Damon. So if you've got any more Ask Damon questions, send them in to askdamon at f1.com and make it a voice note. And uh, so don't send an email. Just we want to hear your voice. So thanks very much indeed. And make it as probing and troubling and difficult as you possibly can. As long as it's about Formula One, we don't mind. Well, I am really looking forward to going back to Kota this week. I'm jealous. I'm I'm not going. And I actually have been a few times and I really enjoy Austin. So I'm going to be sitting here wishing I was there. I have actually got major FOMO as well because the Americans just do it so well, don't they? They just know how to put on a sporting occasion. Okay, look, some of it borders on cheesy, but I love a bit of cheese. I have to say, I just love it. <laughs> I love the oh, jazz hands, razzle dazzle. I love it's the showbiz. Show it's I not cheese. It. It's I, exactly it's positivity. Right, it's absolutely everyone is so into it. They don't go there to go. Oh, I wonder what it's going to be like. I hope I like. It. <laughs> that is not an American attitude. You know, my goodness, they're into it as well. Do you remember last year, four hundred thousand people came to Circuit to the Americas last year for the for the US Grand Prix. It's a sellout again this year oh, you know it's brilliant. Ed Sheeran is playing on Saturday night there's just a really positive vibe about this whole race I'm so excited well can I tell you the only reason I'm not doing it is because I'm actually going from Mexico onto Vegas to help with the launch for next year's Vegas Grand Prix oh yes I just had to get that in just to make you get a bit jealous. Actually, hey, Pinks, that's going to be huge as well, isn't it? You're going to have show car runs down the strip. And... I don't plan to go to bed for three days. That's it. God, are we ever going to see you again, Pinks? <laughs> oh, my God, that's going to be absolutely mega. But that's not till next year. Not till next year. Apart from the launch, apart from the launch. I'll, get, I'll, I'll be able to do a little recce for you all. Gentlemen, thank you as ever for your company. Lovely listeners, thank you for yours as well. That's it from us for now but do join us again for F1 Nation next Monday the 24th for all the reaction to the US Grand Prix bye bye from me TC bye bye from me thanks for listening and DH bye from me and have a lovely time in the US F1 Nation is produced by Formula One and Audio Boom Studios